This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, all episodes are currently available completely ad-free on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. Just follow the link in our show notes. You're guaranteed to find your new favourite true crime listen. From con men to missing people, forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content. The Missing is produced by What's the Story Sounds. They also make lots of other great content, which I think you might like. Why not sign up for What's the Story Crime? On there, you'll find series including The Missing completely ad-free, as well as bonus content and even entire series you can't hear elsewhere. Signing up is super easy. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime. Whenever someone goes missing, an imaginary clock starts ticking. Of the 170,000 people who are reported missing in the UK every year, the vast majority, almost 90%, turn up within the first 48 hours. But the longer time drags on, the shorter the odds of a safe return become. 3% of those people will be missing for longer than a week, with that number falling to 1% after a month. Those who have been missing for more than a year are classified as long-term missing individuals. As of March 2022, there were 5,200 such cases in the UK. Isabella Skelton is one of them. In 1969, the 35-year-old mother of three left her home on Lydiard Street in Crumpsall, Manchester. That was the last time anyone saw her. It was as if she disappeared. But Isabella wasn't reported missing to the authorities. And for years, her young children accepted the version of events that they were told by other people. And they believed that the proper steps were taken to locate her. It was only decades later that Isabella's daughter started to question the long-held narrative. And in 2019, 50 years after her mother was last seen, she made the decision to officially report her missing, setting in motion a series of events which would cast doubt on everything she had been told about what happened to her mother. If he's telling us that she's left, I don't want her to think that we don't want to be bothered with her because she's left. I don't want to feel like this forever. As much as it it does hurt, and, and yeah, probably will have to live with it forever, but I need to know I've done everything that I can to sort it. I'm Pandora Sykes, and you're listening to The Missing, a podcast series produced by What's the Story Sounds. 
and brought to you with help from the charities Missing People and Locate International. They believe that all of the cases in this series could still be solved. This is The Missing, Isabella Skelton. I was born in Scotland, I'm one of three children. Um, Canoosty Street was our main tenement building. Mother and father, aunties and uncles, and a grandma. That's the voice of Linda Chapman, Isabella's daughter. She was 14 when her mother went missing. She's now 70 years old. Uh, the tenement building is like, it's just a block of flats really, but they call them tenements in, in Scotland. We were at the third or the fourth floor up, I think. Isabella was a proud Scot. She was born and raised in Glasgow, and it was important to her to have her relatives close at hand, which made the family's next move a surprising one. The next thing I remember, we were moved down to Albert Park in Salford, into um, um, the terraced house it was, but it was an Italian man and wife, so we just moved in with them for, for a bit. Then we bought a house on Adrian Street in Salford, and that's where we lived. It was an terraced house. It was 13 Adrian Street in Salford, two up, two down. And that's where we lived till late 60s. So that had been about 64, 65. Isabella's husband, Lewis, was a truck driver, and he was the motivation behind the move. To be honest with you, my mum never wanted to move, move from Scotland. My, my honest thought is I knew she wasn't happy down here. That we, she didn't go all overboard with it, but you could tell it wasn't for her. Despite that, Isabella did her best to make the most of her new surroundings. Dad obviously still did his driving. My mum was, I think then it was like a secretary typist. Um, there's various companies that she's worked for. And my dad worked for Great Universal catalogue. People order stuff, remember the big thick catalogues <laughs> that they, they you know, and then he'd deliver things, Worcestershire, Nottinghamshire, Leicestershire, you know, but he'd always be, be back home. Uh, mum would get the, sometimes I'd pick her up, but mum would then get the bus from Victoria bus station. Isabella was a kind, attentive mum, and Linda has a lot of happy memories from growing up with her two younger brothers. We were just three children, we all had our bits and pieces and we used to go out and play hopscotch, rag and bone man came round, that kind of thing, that's all. We had spats, you know, like I've been kids, nothing seriously. And obviously me being the eldest was always right, I think. <laughs> so, but there you go. During the summer holidays, Linda would be sent to Glasgow. Would get a bus up to Scotland to go to my grandma's for the six weeks, but my mum my dad and my two brothers would go camping in Wales. Eventually, the family settled down for good in a house on Lydiard Street. Which is in Crumsall. Another terrace, three-bedroom terrace. Lovely home, lovely, lovely place called Desac. Linda's mum worked all manner of jobs over the next few years. There was Athos Express Courier. There was Bearing Service. And there was Gallagher Cigarettes in Derby Street in Cheetah Mill. Because they'd worked all week, they used to go out on a Saturday night to the local Liberal Club, Conservative Club, whatever it was. And that was life. I'd go shopping with my mum. 
we'd go into CNA Manchester. My dad used to sort of run um, a football team. It used to be called the Three Legs of Man pub in Victoria Bridge. My grandma would come down for the Wit Wheat Walks. These walks were an annual event, which saw the young members of the local church congregation dress up and take part in a parade through town, whilst carrying baskets of flowers. I used to sit outside the Manchester Cathedral with my grandma, and then we'd do the Wit Wheat Walks, and my mum would take me and buy me a dress so that I could carry the flagpole kind of thing. Everything was normal, until one day, it wasn't. My dad told me on Friday, the 6th of June, 1969. My, my brothers weren't about and my mum wasn't there, but my dad just said that she's, she's gone away to work. This development threw Linda. I thought, well, why is she going? It's my birthday in two weeks' time. Linda, who was on the cusp of turning 15, almost immediately felt that something was wrong. Her mum wouldn't simply up and leave without saying goodbye to her children. What's more, one of Linda's siblings was in a particularly vulnerable state at that very moment. In the hindsight of it all, I learned again that Stephen, my young brother, was actually in hospital with a broken leg. She'd been to see him, but she would not have left him in a hospital with a broken leg. It, it doesn't make sense. But why would their dad tell them anything other than the truth? Further down the line, he told the police that my mother actually walked out at 11 o'clock on the Thursday evening with two suitcases. And she turned right out the front door, but she couldn't have turned left because it's a brick wall, it was a dead end. But she didn't drive. Linda found herself at a loss for what to do next. For a few weeks, we carried on. And then my dad took us all up to Scotland to live with his youngest brother, my Uncle Billy and his wife. They had, I think, three children at the time. Could have been the fourth one as well. And we were going to live with them and my dad was going to come back down here. I didn't settle up there. And I actually, my uncle John, my dad's eldest brother, he lived in Barhead. And I actually made my way to Barhead. And I felt more at home there. And to cut a long story short, my uncle John and my uncle Billy got together to work out what was going to happen to us. And the next thing is my dad came back and picked us all up and we came back down here. Linda and her siblings were just children. They were powerless to do anything other than accept their new reality. All I wanted was my mum. It was just, what, where's she gone? Why's she gone? You know, that kind of thing. It's something you take for granted when they're always there. And my dad's, how can I put it to you? He'd never talk about it. It was a taboo subject. And then the first Christmas, we got Christmas presents and he told them it was for my mum. But they weren't for my mum, they were for him, him. He sent them to us. That was our first Christmas. Life without Isabella had a hugely detrimental effect on Linda and her brothers. My middle brother, God rest himself, he was in and out of Boston, so we knew where he was. That, that, petty, I mean, it, it's not an excuse, it was petty things, it was nothing, but he couldn't live with me dad. He didn't get, get on together because he wanted his way and my dad, you know, father and son thing. Because when we lived in Blackpool, we lived in St Anne's and he came to live with us after he came out of Barstow because he didn't want to go and live with my dad. And obviously he carried on a few bits, robbing gas meters and things. Nothing, so bless him, yeah, he held my hands up. 
So it, it was hard. The children's hope that their mother would come home and everything would return to normal were dashed when their father embarked on a new relationship. My dad took a partner with, with her children and everything just, and it just sort of moved on. And, you know, my, my dad had the front bedroom, the, the boys had the middle bedroom and I had the back bedroom and the bathroom was there. And that, that was just how life went. And all the while, Linda was haunted by the mystery of her mum's disappearance and her inability to figure out why. Yeah, you think about it, but I think to myself, what can I do about it? Because at that age, you, you didn't know what resources that you could and couldn't do. You didn't know if my dad had done anything because you wouldn't talk about it. So it, it was hard and you bury it for a while. Time passed and Linda started a life of her own. I started working at CNA. Manchester and as I say I met Keith my husband and then in 71 I got married and we moved to Blackpool Keith and I to to a boarding house with his mum with my mother-in-law and then my dad followed us and he bought um, a hotel on Central Drive in Blackpool. Linda and her husband decided to have a baby and I was 18 when I had my son. But not being able to introduce her child to his grandmother was deeply painful for Linda. That did hurt because I didn't have my mum. It sounds sounds weird, but the firstborn, I mean, I had my mother-in-law, my father and his partner, but it didn't make sense. And I, I suffered from postnatal depression, and whatever they used to be called, then it's different names now, isn't it? And that was hard. Then Keith's mother died, and we already had a terraced house back in um, Cheetah Mill. And it, we'd, we'd let it out, but we had to obviously give notice. So we moved back there once we'd done that, Keith and I, and James, my son. And my dad came to live with us as well because he wanted to re, re move back here. So he stayed with us for a week or two. I can't remember how long it was. But then he found a house up in Garton, Manchester. Um, and he moved up there with his other partner and children. In 1975, Linda and her husband welcomed a new arrival, their daughter, Louise. The previous year, Linda's mother-in-law had died. Now, suddenly, without a mother figure in her life for the second time, Linda's thoughts turned back to Isabella, and she felt strongly that she needed to do something. I tired with it for years. From then onwards, um, I kept saying to Keith, what can we do? What can we do? And that's when we started. Linda, supported by Keith, started actively searching for her mother, beginning in the most logical place. We did Scotland first. We did all the electorals in Scotland. We went to, um, I got the phone book from Scotland, all the McDowell's, because that was a maiden name. We did all that. Nothing. Linda also reached out to several newspapers in Glasgow hoping she could make contact with someone who might point her in the right direction. Linda was still in touch with her dad at this point. When she told him about her investigative efforts, she didn't know exactly what reaction she'd been expecting, but she was still surprised. I explained to my dad that I was looking for her. There was no emotion, no, no nothing, whatever. And that went on for a few years. Linda's relationship with her dad had always been a fraught one. 
even before Isabella had gone missing. He's not a father figure. That that sounds harsh. He's cold. I mean, even I'm going off this. So even now to my, my daughter, he's very cold. He, he doesn't do women. I'm not, I'm not trying to make him out as an ogre. It's hard to feel connection, if that makes any sense. I don't talk to him now. I haven't spoken to him for 10 years. It's silly because, I mean, it, we, we took him abroad. It's our first holiday, we went to Morocco. We took him with us. You know, these it, it, places he's been, Spain, Ibiza, every, it, we've actually tried to involve him, but it doesn't work. It was more of a father to Keith than it was a father to me, that makes sense. Linda's dad never asked her directly how the search for Isabella was going, but every once in a while, he'd check in with Keith for an update. Has she found anything out? Is she getting any further? In conversation, I'm not saying he's making an issue of it, but obviously when he... Because we used to come up here once a month, once every two weeks or something, and we used to go shopping to Bear Air. I'd sort him out, he'd have his meals, that kind of thing. But apart from that, it wasn't, it was just um, a relationship, but not a father-daughter relationship. It wasn't nasty nasty, but it was cold. In all the years since Isabella vanished, there has been just one reported sighting of her. Somebody said that they'd seen her in Buchanan Street in Scotland, in a, I don't know if it's a club or a pub or whatever it was, that my dad, I don't know how my dad found out, but somebody must have told my dad. And then we phoned my uncle John, which is my dad's brother, and he went to investigate and there was no sighting of her. There was nothing there of her. Then, one day, after months and years with no clues, a phone call was made to Linda's home. Linda had placed an advert in the newspaper appealing for information about Isabella. And then a phone call came, but we were out, and it was Louise that took the phone call and, and it more or less said, is there anything wrong with the children? That was it. No name, no nothing. But they never phoned back. It was a man. So that's as, much, that's as far as we got. Who was this stranger? Why didn't he identify himself? And what exactly did he mean by his question? Try as she might, Linda couldn't make head nor tail of it. So she did the only thing she could and doubled down on the search effort. I've done everything I can think of. I've done the Salvation Army. I've done the Mormons. I did Long Lost Family. My daughter did Scylla Black. Surprise, surprise. She also got in touch with the Doe Network, a volunteer-run non-profit dedicated to investigating cold cases. She also made contact with the Preston branch of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who have an extensive family history library and archive at their base in Utah. We've done everything that you could possibly think of. Then, Linda happened to touch base with a Scottish charity called Missing Persons UK and Beyond. The lady we deal with, the name is Vivian Kidd. Absolutely gem of a woman. Gem is not the word. And we've had conversations with them. I've, um, I did um, an article in a magazine. They, you know, I donated the money to them. It wasn't much, the £100. And then I gave them the £100. Because, how can I explain it? That people are doing this on your behalf for free. 
if that woman was here today, I would give her the biggest hug and kiss and whatever it was that she needed. She travelled from Dundee to Glasgow and she found out all our information about my mum's relatives who died, where they were, where they were born, everything. And as daft as it sounds, you keep pushing and pushing for this thing because every time something crops up, you go down that avenue. With the support of missing persons, Linda started digging into documentation pertaining to her mother from around the time of her disappearance. We went to Key Street in Manchester and we found out that my dad hadn't even been divorced. So we went back and told my dad he hadn't been divorced. So that was something else we needed to look into because in actual fact he married Irene. So anyway, he got a divorce then. Obviously to marry Irene. Well, I presume he did because I don't know. But yeah, I presume he did. I don't think he'd do the other way. So yeah, so it was, and that set us going. But it was Viv that said, has she ever been reported missing? I said, not that I'm aware of. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, the following Monday, Linda, accompanied by her daughter, went to the authorities. And then we went to Man- Berry, Berry Police Station, my daughter and I, and we wanted to report a missing. And the, the lady on the desk says, she came back and she says, well, it's, it's been 50 years, nearly 50 years. There's not a lot we can do. So my daughter said, but there is, she's missing, and we're reporting her missing now. They then came back with um, a lovely PC, Jake and Bryony, and they interviewed us. Um, and then the next thing, uh, Sergeant Ward from Berry Police Station phoned me up to say that he was passing it on to the Greater Manchester Police. Linda suddenly felt an enormous weight lift off her shoulders. I felt ecstatic, actually. That sounds weird, doesn't it? It sounds as if somebody's listening to me. Perhaps I was getting ahead of myself, thinking, oh, God, yeah, something. But the pit in the stomach is somebody's actually taking you seriously. The police also put Linda in touch with the local media in an effort to raise the case's profile. Beth Abbott from Manchester Evening News, she was the, the first reporter that, that, that did the story. Julie Potts, she's a police um, missing person. She contacted Beth to, to get it in the papers. However, a subsequent interview with the authorities and one policewoman in particular reopened a lot of old wounds. She really hurt me in the sense that she, her manner is, well, how can a mother leave her three children? Well, I didn't need that at that time. It sounds an awful thing to say because she says she couldn't leave hers. And I can understand the saying that, but I don't think it was appropriate. And obviously I didn't know. I didn't know anything. So I couldn't say that, but they were more or less saying, unless somebody's been um, involved in anything, we can't really do anything about it. And I thought, well, why? 
you know i mean it doesn't mean to say because she's gone that he's done something i'm not i'm not pushing that for, forward um it takes two there's two sides to every story and i don't i only know one side eventually the police began looking into isabella's disappearance and quickly uncovered some notable details she's not claimed a state pension she's not appeared at a doctor's or a hospital They'd give us all that information. And then they said, we're, we're thinking about um, going down to the house to see if we can find anything there. Given that it was the last place Isabella had been seen, it felt like a sensible place to start. And I thought, well, that, that's, that was huge. It was, I think it was frightening, you know, to think that they're thinking what we're thinking. So that's what led to a team of police, detectives, and forensic experts to descend on the family's former home on Lydiard Street in April 2021. They expected their investigation would take no more than three weeks. But they were still working their way through the property three months later. They dug the cellar from front to back. It was a, a terrace, but they had a cellar. And down the cellar, you walk straight straight down. It was like um, you used to have a coal shuttle thing where the coal used to drop down. And then they had... Uh, I only remember the one room, actually, and it was always dark. So they, they did that, but they've, do, they've gone right down to the, the foundations of one room. And then there was a hole in the wall to go through to the other room, which would have been... You've got your living room, your dining room, I suppose, kitchen, everything, whatever you want to call And then you've got your kitchen. So they'd gone through all three and the bags of soil and everything else that was taken away by them that were forensics, whatever you want to call it. The police were looking for anything that might shed some light on what had happened to Isabella. They were also looking for human remains. Following the conclusion of their investigation, they released a statement. It read... Following 12 weeks of excavation work at a property on Lydyard Street, Crumpsall, we can now confirm that no human remains or findings that would prove significant to our investigation into the disappearance of Isabella Skelton have been located. This was the final stage of a protracted and complex investigation, and we have at this time exhausted all conventional lines of inquiry in our search for Isabella. For Linda... This was a devastating blow. They kept saying, well, we're not going to give up, which I understand. I mean, I'm not, I don't mean they're just saying that for saying it's safe because they were very decent people. But I found towards the end, and I mean, the last thing that Claire, it's cost us over £100,000 to do this. We can't do any more. And to me, I know it's a lot of money, but that's not something, I mean, I offered to put a reward up. No, we don't do that anymore. But that, that's for me to decide, surely. If it helps. Well, no, it's just left me middle of the road again. That's when they asked us if we wanted to go back to the house. We were invited back by the police to see if we remembered anything. I said to my husband at first, I said, I don't really think I want to. But then I thought to myself, I need to finish what I've started. I need to know. We've come this far, so it's either one way or the other now. And that's what happened, and I went. So it was emotional, but there again, it's... At this point, Linda doesn't know what to think. 
No, I mean, there's lots of ways my dad my dad said um, that the, the, the scenario was. She went to America to work. She didn't drive, she didn't have a passport. Um, her brother lived, lived in Italy. None of her brothers lived abroad. The only brother that lives anywhere is in Ireland, and my dad didn't know that Alec was in Ireland until I found him. Every so often, Linda finds herself searching for her mother's face in a crowd. It's surprising like, when you, you look, because she was only petite, dark brown hair, very thingy, in a mannerism, um, you know, tidy person. She was one of them. And yeah, you look and you th from the back especially, you can think to yourself, that, 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 that looks like her, you know, her hair and, you know. And whenever her paths cross with a Scot, she's soon filled with intense feelings of both nostalgia and loss. When I go to, 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 to Berry Market with my daughter, and there was one Saturday, I was on the lowest of the lows because I think we'd had so much knock back and thinking. And we sat on the, 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 the bench just outside and this, this, this couple came and they'd come from Glasgow and she was talking about different pieces, Paisley Road, the Clyde, uh, the CIS building, where well, my grandma used to be a cleaner in the CIS building and you know that kind of thing and it was just weird to, to talk to somebody that knew where you, you come from if that's made any sense. Linda still believes there's a scenario where her mum moved away and started elsewhere. She just wishes, if that was the case, that Isabella had taken her with her. If it was discussed as a family, I would have moved up with her. As for what she would say to her, if she could talk to her now... I would wish her well. As I've said in the reports that I've done, if she's gone and she's moved on and she's got a new life, I wish she would contact me, but if she didn't, I understand. But just let somebody know that she's okay. Because you can't force somebody to, to do what they don't want to do, live in a situation where she's away from her family, her friends. The worst case scenario, the idea that Isabella was the victim of foul play, isn't one Linda likes to dwell on, but her mind does go there from time to time. There's no other excuse, you know. There's, there's not an explanation for it, you know. To think, you keep in your mind to think that, yeah, she's alive, and the more you dig, the more you dig, but you're not getting any answers. And then there was there was an issue, with, they found a woman's body in Yorkshire or something, and my daughter contacted this guy that was... I've got it all in here. Linda's referring to a folder of news clippings and research that her daughter Louise has helped her to put together. She's been a rock for Linda during the process of digging through all these painful memories. It's weird. My daughter does a lot of the stuff for me. She knows I'm talking about my mum that she doesn't know, but she knows how much it means to me. So it's hard, but then do I burden her with it all? It's... It is, it's so hard. And I mean, people say, I should forget it, but how can you? You can't forget what's happened. Even if it is a bad scenario at the end of it, you still have feelings. For Linda, there's only one fact about her mum's disappearance that she feels certain of. If she's gone to Scotland, somebody would have known something. That, 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 that's the one thing I'm confident about. Somebody would have known. As for whether her father, 
from whom Linda is now estranged had anything to do with it. It's surprising how many people say to us, why are they not looking at him? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's gone on um, the web page and things like that. Well, why aren't they looking into him? But that is their, their position. I'm not trying to accuse him if it's niggling. Linda still has a few avenues of inquiry to explore. The most recent being the potential for some genealogy students in Leeds and Liverpool University to be brought on to assist with the case. But she knows that these are all long shots at best. You can't now live in Cuckoo land. You know it's one way or the other. She's either dead or alive. You know, that kind of thing. And obviously she was getting on in her age as well. So that didn't make it any easier for us. So, um, and she could have had a new life. And if she had done a wish to draw that, you know, you can't not accept what's happened, but you can't not accept her if she wanted to go on and have a different life or a better life or whichever way. As for any fresh developments in the police investigation. It's become a cold case now, so that means, I means unless anything turns up, obviously, I don't think it will, if that makes sense on their behalf. Because, I mean, obviously, I'm not the only one. I mean, they've got a a process to follow for every every crime they've got. It's not just stuck on the world, you know, I'm looking for somebody, but it doesn't help. More than anything, Linda wants her mother to know that she's doing everything she can to find out what happened to her. The thing that gets me is I don't want her to think that we, we didn't want to know where she'd gone. If he's telling us that she's left, right, I don't want her to think that we don't want to be bothered with her because she's left. I don't want to feel like this forever. As much as it it does hurt, and, and yeah, probably will have to live with it forever, but I need to know I've done everything that I can to sort it. Perhaps I'm asking for the unknown, am I? Perhaps I'm asking for a miracle. Don't know. In many cases, it takes just one piece of information to lead police or family to the answers they crave. If you know what happened to Isabella, or you remember seeing someone like her on June the 6th, 1969, your information could be vital. Even if you've never heard of Isabella Skelton before listening to this episode, you could still help. Visit our website, themissingpodcast.org, where you'll find more information on this and every other case we featured in this series. The series is also made with the help of Missing People, a charity who offers support to the families of the missing. Their helpline is open to offer support and advice if you have been affected by anything in this episode. We can't say this enough. It takes just one person with the right information to solve any of the cases in this series. Linda hopes that the information will soon arrive to solve this one. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episodes are produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. Executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis.
This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, you can listen to them exclusively on What's the Story Crime. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime.